be together with you all this afternoon. Uh, I'm encouraged that you're here. Uh, it's, it's so encouraging for us to meet together to remember Jesus' death for us. And uh, I hope that as we now talk about God's Word, that uh, His Word is able to speak into our hearts and make a difference in us. That's the reason for our taking this time uh, to talk about the Word of God. So I hope uh, this lesson helps you. We have a photo on the screen, you might have noticed already. What uh, thoughts or emotions come to mind when you look at that photograph? Just dwell on it for a moment. For the benefit of anyone who might be uh, listening to an audio recording or, or unable to see or understand the picture, uh, it's a stark grayscale picture of two human feet. Uh, but those feet are sticking out from under a sheet and there's a a paper affixed to one of the big toes, a toe tag, used by morgues and undertakers to identify who a corpse belongs to. Uh, you quickly, when you look at this photo, begin to realize these feet are cold, uh, lifeless, and so is the body that they belong to. I don't know what thoughts or emotions came to your mind when you looked at that picture, but what if you make it more personal? I, I don't know how much those look like your feet, maybe not very much, but imagine they were your feet, that it was your body under the sheet, your name on the toe tag, that it was you who were dead. Now what sort of thoughts or emotions come to mind? Perhaps it's an uncomfortable or fearful feeling for you to think about your death. And there may be some good reasons for that, but today I want to talk about death with the goal of overcoming some of our fears about death and dying and seeing how God wants us to think about death. First, let's go way back to the beginning and think about the origin of death. Back to Genesis 2, 15 through 17. Genesis 2, 15 through 17. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. I wonder what Adam thought about that. Did he even know what that meant? Uh, you shall surely die. Did he have a good sense of what this uh, promise was? In Hebrew, the phrase, you shall surely die, uh, might be more literally translated, dying you shall die. It's, it's the, the word dying repeated twice, you shall surely die. Um, what did that mean? What happened that day when Adam and Eve chose to disobey God's will? We know they still woke up the next day and four days afterward. It wasn't that their bodies died, but something important had changed. They were both dead, in a sense, and going to die. Dying, they shall die. There was a sense in which they died that day, and a sense in which they would yet die in the future. In the next chapter, Genesis 3, verses 8 through 10, we see something fundamentally different about their relationship with God, where before God had walked in the garden, um, they were in close fellowship and relationship with them. In Genesis 3, 8 through 10, uh, there's something different. 
They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid. Adam and Eve's disobedience created a separation between them and God. They were no longer in fellowship with God, no longer at peace with Him. Instead, they were afraid, ashamed, away from God, wanting to be away from God. God is life, the source of life, uh, eternal life. And the Bible presents being separated from God as being absent from life, as death, uh, spiritual death, where our core being is separated from the only source of real life. Uh, Adam and Eve experienced that separation from God the day they disobeyed Him. But there was another death they faced. God removed them from the garden, and their access to the tree of life, which evidently would have preserved their physical lives, uh, was taken away. So dying, they would die. They were spiritually dead, away from God. And someday their bodies would die, ending their physical lives as well. The Bible makes a consistent parallel between spiritual death and physical death. And it's clearly intentional. Uh, it's because, I believe, it's a powerful illustration for us. We see very directly the effects of physical death. And when a person's spirit is separated from their body, uh, what used to be a vibrant and living body is left cold and lifeless and almost immediately begins a process of decay and decomposition. And we're familiar with the unpleasant smell of, of death. You know, as we drive along the road and, and there's a roadkill or something there, right? We've seen maggots and flies and, and buzzards circling overhead. And uh, we know that God made this process of physical death one that is shocking to the senses. Uh, it's disturbing to see and to experience. We don't see the effects of spiritual death so directly, though, do we? But God wants us to know what being separated from life is like. Uh, it seems that God uses physical death to teach us what spiritual death is really like. When our spirits are separated from God, we turn from living and strong and vibrant to cold, lifeless. We become spiritual corpses, if you will, dead and decaying in our, in our inner being. We forfeit real life when we disobey God and die spiritually. And Adam and Eve were only the first in succession of humans to make the choice to disobey God. Romans 5, 12 through 14, tells us that death spread to all, because we've all made the same choice. Uh, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sin, we all made the same choice, and we all chose death. For until the law, sin was in the world, that's Verse 13, but sin is not imputed when there is no, no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, the type of him to come. Verse 14 said that death reigned even when there wasn't law. And we know that the law itself didn't do anything to help with the problem of death, right? It defined sin more clearly, uh, made it more obvious when someone was disobedient to God. 
So death reigned. What does what does that mean? What is the reign of death? Romans 3, uh, beginning in verse 9, if you'd like to turn over there, help us begin to understand it. The choice to pull away from God and to die without Him is a choice that every human, except Jesus, has made. Romans 3 and verse 9 beginning, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. And in verse 23 of the same chapter, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The reign of death is universal, right? There is none righteous, no, not one. And all the way back in the beginning, the goal of the serpent in the garden was very precisely to separate man from God, to ensure that God's desire to share fellowship and real life with mankind was, was thwarted. How could he break this blessing that God wanted to give mankind? And so the devil has rejoiced in death and the sin that causes it ever since, because that's the means by which he can separate people from a loving God. Sin and death give him power against God, power to, to impede God's good purposes, to block uh, God's uh, desire for us, and to send the creatures that God loves so much off to their destruction. Because it seemed the universal human choice to sin doomed all mankind to separation from God. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. This things done in the body, right? What does that mean? It's, it's the things that we do while we're alive, physically alive. Right? The, the, we are going to be judged for how we've used our physical life. In Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. Again, talking about physical death, our physical life. It's clear that we are judged based on how we've used uh, the period of physical life that God has given us. We have a window of time uh, in which we can be in a relationship with God or, or not. Uh, and then once a person's life is over and they're physically dead, the case, it seems, is closed. We each face the judgment based on what we've done while physically alive. You can go ahead and turn over to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, which we'll read in a few moments. Hebrews 2, uh, 14 and 15 speaks of the devil having the power of death. We've suggested already that death is Satan's tool, his power, his domain. If he can separate people from God by getting them to sin so that they're spiritually dead, and then just keep them there until their physical lives end, he wins. People whose lives end with them separated from God are bound. They're prisoners. They're, they're captives under the power of Satan, eternally away from God. But God had given a glimmer of hope from the time of Adam until the time of Christ. There was this idea revealed through Scripture that there might be a way for a human who had chosen to disobey God and thus was separate from him, dead, uh, cut off from life that somehow he might be restored to God, have some hope of life 
in God's presence again. But the way for that to happen wasn't clear. How could this separation between man and God be fully resolved? How could the reign of death uh, in humankind be stopped? Hebrews 2, beginning in verse 14. Inasmuch then, as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through, through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Death was the devil's power over us. Having sinned, we were destined for, for death away from God and left in bondage, what's called here uh, fear of death. Fear of death has us all our life subject to bondage. But God chose to intervene. By, by God's goodness and grace, he would break this stronghold of death uh, through Jesus himself partaking in it. This passage tells us that Jesus himself shared in flesh and blood. He, he took on physical life as we do. That through his death, he might destroy him who had the power of death. Now exactly how that works and why that works, I don't think is even fully explained for us. Um, but when the one holding the power of death is destroyed in our lives, we're released from the reign of death in our lives. Verse 15 says, Jesus released those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Fear of death is an enslavement, a bondage that Jesus intends for us to be freed from. In Romans 5, 20-21, we read, Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In 2 Corinthians 5, 14-15, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should, should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. By Jesus taking on flesh and being perfectly obedient to God, he was able to somehow bear the consequence of death for every person and free us from the fear of death. Jesus then showed his power over death and sin by rising from the dead. Because of Christ, death is a defeated foe. No longer does the end of our life seal us away from God forever. We can be reconciled to God in life. And though our bodies die, we can have eternal life with God. And we can live in hope rather than this dark and enslaving fear of death. Psalm 16 is a messianic psalm which predicted Jesus' resurrection. I'm sure you're familiar with it. But there's a real sense in which the words of that psalm can apply to us as well. We can uh, unite with the words of this psalm. Even though we might face physical death, we do face physical death, uh, we have a glorious hope of life with God. In psalm 16, 8-11, I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul at Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. 
In 1 Timothy 1, Paul tells Timothy and us that even in suffering, even facing our own physical death, we can trust Jesus to have overcome death. In 1 Timothy 1, verses 8 through 10, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Death is defeated by Jesus. He has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light. Not only did God conquer death's power over us through Jesus Christ, but God also will end death and undo its effect on us. Turn over to Ephesians 2, <coughs> verses 1 through 7. Ephesians 2, 1 through 7. The letter to the Ephesians uh, is, is really bright with the hope of life. And this passage in particular talk, talks about a present tense in which we are made alive and a future sense in which we'll see an even fuller experience of, of life, of God's grace. Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive, together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is reassuring Christians that God will one day raise our physical bodies, undoing the effect of physical death. In 1 Corinthians 15, We'll read verses 20 through 26. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. There will come a time when death is uh, ended for good forever. Further down in chapter 15, verses 51 through 57, we read about this undoing of death, a time when death is... Uh, totally done away with. First uh, Corinthians fifteen fifty one through 57 Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Uh, the idea of sleep there is physical death, and not everyone will physically die. Someone will be alive when Jesus returns. 
He says, we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall all be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. God has already won uh, the battle over death, but there's a sense in which we wait the full revealing of that victory. We live in a world where death still has its effects. But when we're raised, never to experience death again, death will finally be fully and completely defeated. We won't turn there now for the sake of time, but you may recall at the end of Revelation, in chapter 22, John sees a vision of, of heaven as having a river, a river of life, beside which grows a tree, a tree of life that we can freely access. It reminds us a lot of a garden where there was a river and a tree of life. And it shows God's intent to bring us back full circle to before the origin of death in the garden. God is working to undo the damage that we've done by choosing to sin. The closeness with God, relationship with God, uh, and freedom from death forever is part of God's full circle plan for us. He wants to undo the destructive power of death over us and bless us with full and eternal life with Him. Let's go back to the picture we started with. You can imagine these are your feet. Uh, the tag has your name on it. This is the body you once occupied, but you're not there anymore. Is it a fearful thought? That someday your corpse will lie still, your spirit gone from it. I won't pretend there aren't uh, fearful things about the physical process of dying. Uh, it's certainly maybe painful and physically and emotionally difficult for us to go through. But God doesn't want there to be anything fearful for us about death itself. For God's people, death should be no more dreaded than the finish line at the end of a long race. Some people would do anything to avoid death if they could. But for God's people, death marks the finish line. Now, if we're right with God, an image like this should make us think of rest, pain and sorrow and sadness all gone, freedom from the constraints of a physical body here on earth, and life forever in the presence of God in the joy of his presence gained. From 2 Timothy 2, verse 4 through 6, it seems that Paul looked forward to the day when they could put a tag on his toes, so to speak. The day when he would leave the constraints of his body. 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8, he said, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So think about 
death in your life. Its origin is in sin. If you've chosen to sin, you've chosen the way of death. You've chosen separation from God. The reign of death. As long as you remain separate from God, death reigns for you. You are subject to bondage, kept captive by fear. Because if you remain there, separate from God, and your physical life ends, your case is closed. There's no longer hope. But death can be defeated. God has shown his power over death, and he longs to defeat the power of death in your life as well. Over in Ezekiel 18, verse 30-32, God pleads with his people uh, to turn and live, to get a new heart, a new life. Ezekiel 18, verse 30, he says, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed, and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. If you are spiritually dead, but physically alive, know this. God is being patient with you. He's waiting for you to turn and live. And the way of life is available through baptism into Jesus. In Romans three, uh, Romans six, rather, beginning in verse three, do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christ became man and died physically and raised from death to glory to show us that death is not only a conquered enemy, but a path to blessing. The physical death of one of God's people is the path by which he frees us from the grief and sorrow of this world, and welcomes us to eternal blessing with Him. Death is a finish line, marking the end of a race where a tremendous prize awaits us on the other side. For all who follow Christ, death is simply the doorway by which we enter real life. If there's some change that you need to make today, to ask God to overcome the power of death in you, to give you real and full life, we want to encourage you to make that change today. If we can help you with that at all, we want you to talk to someone today. Don't wait. Don't wait beyond today. In fact, we're going to sing a song in a moment. You don't have to wait until that song is done. 
and we encourage you to use that time uh, to speak to someone about any way that the church here can help you. If there's anything that you need uh, to help defeat death in your life, in any way that we can be God's tool in doing that for you, uh, please let us know. Turn to God and live.